must have dreamed a thousand dreams Been haunted by a million screams I can hear them marching Into the street Did you read the news today? So who says that you are the underdog is the question. That is a question you should all ask yourselves because for some reason you're convinced that you have no voice, you have no say, and it is what it is. They are more powerful, they are stronger, and that's it. But that's it. You make that choice. See, that's not a reality. But the laws, we make the laws. We make the laws. But the process, we make the process. We'll delve into that a little bit more today. I think it's important to even visit Ruth Bader Ginsburg on some of these matters and understand where exactly we are, what position we have, and try to understand what we're coming into. Now, this morning, even though I have... Tons of lawyers to meet with this afternoon. <laughs> so I'll be shooting out promptly at two. Um, it's important that we remember to answer and to think of what was it? Think of it. Let's pretend Germany back in the 40s was America. I mean, they're people, right? They're people. They have, they make decisions. They love, they hate, they paid taxes, they worked, they had families, right? What was it that turned them into murderers? What was it that drove them off that final cliff to do it? Those are questions you should ask yourself. Those are questions you should ask yourself. So we'll listen to Scalia again, talking about something that's the most important thing, and that's the First Amendment. For me, as I focus on the First Amendment, I'm not looking at freedom of the press. I'm not looking on being able to voice what I want. I'm looking at being able to redress my grievances. Now, while many are, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, you seem to not get the bigger picture. And I feel like sometimes I have to like come out and do a cartwheel. I don't know if these hands can actually hold that weight right now. But, I mean, it was as clear as day yesterday what I, what I said to you. And I want you to listen to it. I'm just going to play an audio clip for you. And I want you to listen to what I said yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, right here on air. I just want you to listen to this. The one that is president is the one that the people listen to. Trust your president. Only trust your president. And I say this, huh, I say this as well as I can. Because he will speak to you and tell you what you need to know when you need to know. He needs to be quiet just a little bit. Obviously, I can't keep my mouth shut. But he does. And that's because he's busy. The one that is, so I told you yesterday that the president will speak to you when he needs to tell you something. I told you that before it was even announced he was going to be coming on TV and talking to the people. I also told you the key word. He has to be quiet. Quiet. That's a very specific word. You don't say quiet. You say stealthy. But I said quiet. And I didn't just say it. 
someone else did too. So why don't we take a look at um, President Trump's discussion with America yesterday? Because that's what it was. And it was um, quite eloquently done too. I want you guys to hear him. Since, like I said, listen only to your president. I want you to hear him and see the words he used. And how, you know, coincidentally, after I told you, he'll come out and speak to you himself. He also told you something else. So I just had a lengthy conversation with President Trump, huh? Not many people can say that, and I feel very lucky, actually. And with his permission, I recorded the entire conversation. Came on first to talk about... Uh, the unfortunate, very sad passing of a, an American legend, Rush Limbaugh. Talked about Rush and plenty of other stuff. Hey, we are privileged to have with us the former president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Mr. President, thanks so much for making the time. How are you? Well, thank you, Greg. I'm fine. I'm fine. But we lost a great one today. And uh, Rush was just a you know, unique character, but and a, and a great friend to all of us. So we lost a really great gentleman today. Well, he was very good to you. You were very good to him. It was uh, really nice that he had a friend um, and you had a friend in him. He was, uh, we all right. saw the Medal of Freedom moment. Uh, I, I understand that Rush was not as uh, surprised as he conveyed at that moment, was he? Well, he, had, he knew a little bit about it and, and you know we had to because he was quite ill. And, you know, his, uh, it's amazing that he lasted this long. Only a strong person could have. And uh, he was actually at the hospital, and he came from the hospital, and the hospital was quite a distance away. And, uh, frankly, in a, in a state where he had to get on airplanes. And, you know, he, so we, uh, we gave him a little bit of a clue, and uh, he, was, he was very excited. He was great. He was great. That was more emotion than anything else, if you look at it. That was the real deal emotion. Rush was, Rush was really something. It was very interesting to see the room, though, because half of the room, Republicans, went crazy, and the other half sat totally silent. But the one thing is everybody 100% respected Rush. Big time. You know, Mr. President, um, he was only 70 years old, and now when you see 70, that seems young. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, you're, you've got a few years on Rush. Uh, when, when a friend dies and he's only 70 years old, do you think about your own mortality for just a minute? Well, you do think about it, but I also have friends that are in their 80s and their 90s. You look at uh, Bernie Marcus, Home Depot. He's 93. He's 100%. I, it was incredible. I watched him the other night on television. He was 100%. So, you know, I think that uh, depending on life and genes and lots of other things, I guess. It depends. But you now Rush was uh, Rush was young, relatively speaking. He was young and he was, you know, just got, he just got a bad, a bad deal with uh, what, he, what he had was something that was not going to be beaten. It was not going to be beaten. And he understood that. But he wanted to get past the election and he made it easily. And he thought we won the election. We did win the election as far as I'm concerned. It was disgraceful what happened. Totally disgraceful. But Rush wanted to get uh, by the election, and he did it. And uh, he was proud of that, but he thought the result was a uh, disgrace. You know, Mr. President, um, I'm wondering, a lot of people miss you. We knew that Rush was sick, uh, so people have been talking about this and kicking it around. Might be too soon, 
But would you be interested in filling that spot? It's uh, what, two, three hours on the radio every day, tens of millions of listeners. There's really nobody out there of his stature other than you who could probably command that audience. Is it something you've thought about? Well, you know, a lot of people are mentioning that. And uh, no, it's not anything I've thought about. But uh, he'd be a hard one to replace. You know, we talked uh, to a friend of yours, Sean Hannity. He said uh, he's irreplaceable. And I view that, too. I say he's irreplaceable. But uh, people, that is that is one of those little things that keeps popping up. But uh, you wouldn't want to follow Rush. You know, it's the old story. You get somebody like that, you don't want to follow him because some things just can't be done. He was He was unique. Big time. And being alone in a room and talking for two, three hours, you talked about that. Yep. You know how to talk for a long time, but you do it in front of a lot of people. It's different. Uh, he was very, very well, talented. What he did, Greg, what he did was so unique because he could get up and without scripts, without anything. Now, actually, the big secret, he, he did work hard. You know, I, I would ask him, when you go on, do you just go on and wing it? And he goes, no, I actually work very hard to, you know, to learn about the current current events mostly largely but uh he said i'd i'd work very hard for every show and he did he did i always thought maybe he didn't but he did and uh but he did something unique you you understand you're doing so well congratulations on your big ratings and your success you have done a fantastic job and uh between your mother and your father i'm not surprised they produced you because you are a winner <laughs> And they are winners, both of them. They're great oh. people. He was a great commissioner. And your mother, I know your mother almost better. She'd have her big Christmas party at Trump Tower. It was so beautiful. And uh, she's an incredible woman, you know, the whole the whole family. Oh. But congratulations on your success. But, you know, Rush would do something that was very unique. He would be able to speak for, two, as you say, two or three hours without phone calls, without, you know, because that's easy. The phone calls come in and, you know, whether they're hostile or not hostile or good or bad. You know, it's calls, right? Then you just talk for a little while and you do another call. He would talk for three hours and he'd be very spellbinding. He had a massive audience, the biggest audience there was ever in terms of doing that. I mean, I don't think there's ever been anybody like that. And he could talk and just talk. And it was interesting. And he wouldn't repeat, you know, he'd talk about things. There'd be no repetition. And he was able to do it right up until the end. It was incredible. And he was really sick. That last six months or so, he was very, very sick. So You know, the show was, was so unique. Yeah, so unique entertaining, ability, Mr. President. So entertaining. Yeah. It was funny. Kind of like you. And, you, you yeah. know, you, you use all of your faculties when you're commanding an audience. Hey, let me ask you. I hate to go political on you, but uh, the mainstream media a part of the left-wing media giving Rush a really hard time, calling him all kinds of names. It's really sad. I'm wondering if you actually caught Joe Biden on the CNN town hall last night. Well, I saw that he uh, said that there was no vaccine when he came into office, and yet he got a shot before he came into office. And uh, it was already in uh, early November that we announced it, but we actually had it substantially before that. And... Uh, we were giving millions of shots and millions of doses. So he was either not telling the truth or he's mentally gone, one or the other. And uh, he's getting, actually Joe Biden's being killed on that whole thing because even the haters. Hold on, hold on. What did the president say? Did he mention that he may be unfit? Oh, we're going to discuss that because I have an article that I'm working on to put it together. 
Did our president just mention that President-select Biden may be unfit? Oh, oh dear. The Constitution actually has a provision for that. It's the 25th Amendment. No, it's not. No, it's not. We can't do it with the 25th Amendment. I mean, <laughs> you really want to give it over to Kamala? You just got to negate the whole administration. But I just thought I'd point that out. The whole unfit unfit. Said, well, wait a minute. You know, this vaccine was announced long before, and I believe he got the shot sometime before January 20th, which was inauguration day, uh, long before January 20th. So he made the statement that we had, like, literally, quote, we had no vaccine when I came into office, meaning when he came into office. And uh, he is getting lit up on that one because even the bad ones, even the ones that aren't exactly fans. They're saying that was a bad statement. So uh, I don't know. Maybe he. Maybe let's give him the benefit of that. Could he be joking? Could he be what? Joking. Oh, because joking. frankly, because frankly, that was uh, a, a very dumb statement. A hey, one thing he. Statement. I don't know if you saw. He also seemed to be spinning for the Chinese. Uh, he went out of his way yeah. to say, "Look, they're going to handle the Uyghurs. They're going to handle the situation. That that's their business." And they should be unified. It seemed like he was uh, working for the Chinese, maybe like Mitch McConnell well, a little bit. Your statement yeah, yesterday was family, a doozy. Yeah. Well, his family is involved with the Chinese, certainly, in a long time and a lot of money. The whole thing is so ridiculous. We had China exactly where we wanted them. And then we had an election where we got almost 75 million votes and some say much more than that. But uh, we had an election where we set records. We set the record between... The previous election, we had 12 million more votes. We didn't want to get 12. We wanted to get 3 million more. We said we can't lose. We got 12. And uh, bad things happen, but you've covered that, and you know it. And really bad and dishonest things happen. And when they say stop the steal, they're not just kidding. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. It's like a third-world country with the elections. So uh, we have to get that straightened out. And I think get to the bottom of what happened. I also think, you know, go forward, but we also have to go back because we have to get back. We have to go back. I watched him last night on television and I think it's a disgrace, frankly, between the vaccine statement, which is just, you know, so bad and so ridiculous where even his allies are saying they're all trying to, you know, they're trying to go back and have it redone. Yeah. But uh, I think it's just, I think it's just disgraceful. Hey, Mr. President. It's disgraceful you know, what happened in the election and Rush was a, I mean, Rush was just incensed by what happened with the tabulation. Let's call it be nice, tabulation, the counting of votes, lots of different things, but the counting of votes, the tabulation of that election, it was disgraceful. The tabulation of that election was disgraceful. <laughs> the tabulation of that election, tabulation tabulating votes. Well, first, according to Dominion, you have to cleanse and anonymize the votes to be tabulated. I'm just saying. I need a frog sound. Ribbit, ribbit. In swing states. Well, without Rush Limbaugh on the scene, we could have a different political uh, dynamic. Tens of millions of listeners. He's now gone, unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, you got to be thinking about 2024. I saw you driving around Palm Beach, uh, West Palm. You still command huge crowds, parades. No other ex-president gets that. Are you thinking about running 
2024. You, is your mind there yet? Well, we have. Hmm. I'm going to stop right there. So we asked him about 2024, right? The next presidential election. Okay. The next presidential election. The next one. I want you to listen to what he says. So quiet. I had a thing the other day where we're driving along and all of a sudden we hit, I mean, there are literally thousands and thousands of people. I guess it was pretty well covered, although mainstream doesn't like covering it because, you know, it's too positive. But there were thousands of people waving the flag, the American flag, a Trump flag. It was an incredible scene. And they heard I was going to be going that way, that route. And it was an incredible scene. And it, it just, it grew out of nothing. And there was thousands and thousands of people. Now, there's tremendous love and there's tremendous spirit in the country. And the whole MAGA movement and, you know, call it MAGA, call it whatever you want. Call it America first as opposed to America last. You know, the Democrats have it as America last because they're willing to give up everything to China. Uh, Iran was willing to do anything and now... Uh, they're going to drive a tough bargain, and they were, they, we have them in such great position. Such a shame if we don't get it done properly. And so many other things. I mean, there's so many other things that were so ready to go. And uh, what happened with the voter tabulation, voter integrity was disgraceful. Disgraceful. It's really well, people, a, it's a blight People miss you. You know, it's so weird that you're not on Twitter anymore. Every now and then I hear a vibration that you might be coming back. Are those talks on underway? And, and and actually, look, you've got to be thinking about running for president, right? I mean, are you thinking that that uh, along those well, lines at all? The Twitter, we're looking at a lot of different things, but I really wanted to be somewhat quiet. It hasn't been that quiet, frankly, but I wanted to be somewhat quiet. And uh, quiet, quiet, quiet. What did I say yesterday? What is need to know? He needs to be quiet just a little bit. Obviously, I can't keep my mouth shut. Obviously, I can't keep my mouth. You need to know. He needs to be quiet. He needs to be quiet. He needs to be quiet. <laughs> he needs to be quiet. I mean, come on. Should I start doing a dance? Let's just hear him say it again. Again. And again, vibration that you might be coming back. Are those talks on underway? And, and, and actually, look, you've got to be thinking about running for president, right? I mean, are you thinking that that uh, along those well, lines at all? The Twitter, we're looking at a lot of different things, but I really wanted to be somewhat quiet. It hasn't been that quiet, frankly, but I wanted to be somewhat quiet. And uh, they wanted me very much in Polly. You know, they had a phony report that the man who wasn't there didn't. I mean, just the opposite. They really wanted me in parlor. And, uh, you know, I had 89 million, but that was because they held it back. And then on top of that, I had 36 million or 39 million on POTUS. And we had other sites where we had millions and millions of people. So we have, I guess, about as big as it gets. And likewise on, uh, on Facebook. And they all want that. And part of the problem is mechanically you can't handle it because it's too many people. It's bigger than they are by many times. And they want to... Uh, and, and I'll tell you, it's not the same. If you look at what's going on with, uh, if you look at what's going on with Twitter, I understand it's become very boring, and <laughs> millions of people are leaving. They're leaving it because it's not the same, and I can understand that. 
And uh, so we'll see what happens. We're we're negotiating with a number of people. And uh, there's also the other option of building your own site. We're negotiating with a bunch of people. And who's going to be on TV today? Andrew Torba is going to be on TV today. Okay. We're negotiating with a lot of people. Or you build your own site. Where's Patrick Berge's National Public Internet? Damn it. Because we have more people than anybody. So, it's, I mean, you can literally build your own set. But we were being really harassed on Twitter. Uh, they were putting up all sorts of flags, I guess they call them. They were flagging almost anything you said. Everything I was saying was being flagged. It's disgraceful. And yet you have other foreign countries saying the worst things possible, and they don't even talk about it. But it's so, become very boring. We don't want to go back to Twitter. A couple of quick things. Back. Yeah, no, I understand. Maybe building your own and platform. getting the word out just by putting out statements. I mean, if I want to put something out, like we did with Rush today, we did a couple of I'm doing you, and uh, which is an honor. But uh, we get the word out. If we want to get the word out, it's pretty easy. There are a lot of ways to get the word out. No, you still command enormous attention. Uh, so I want to go back again. Look, it's a no-brainer. You're going to run for president in 2024, right? I mean, you got all the support. Why Why wouldn't you run? Well, we have tremendous support. I won't say yet, but we have tremendous support. And I'm looking at poll numbers that are through the roof. You saw what happened yesterday. We went up. Hey, we have tremendous support. I'm looking at poll numbers that are through the roof. Uh, what poll numbers are you talking about right now? Or in 2024? Because that's a little bit of a stretch to say that they're for 2024. Pay attention. If we get, I'm, I'm the only guy gets impeached and my numbers go up. <laughs> I may figure that one out. Let's say somebody gets impeached. Typically your numbers would go down. They would go down like a, like a dead balloon. But uh, the numbers are very good. They're very high. I think they're higher than they were before the election. And they were high at the election. And they like the job. Look, we did a great job. We, we built, rebuilt our military. Think of it. We lowered taxes, got rid of regulations. How about Space Force? Just Space Force alone would be a big achievement. First time in 74 years, a new branch of the U.S. military. So, you know, all of the things we've done and the border, we built the wall. Mexico was all getting ready to pay for the wall. We were going to charge them at the border, small fee. And uh, Mexico would have paid for the wall. They were all set. They gave us 28,000 troops to police it before it got built. And now you see what's happening. And the president of Mexico is a great gentleman, by the way. But he put 28,000 troops on our border at my request, and we didn't pay for that. And he, uh, we, kept, we kept the border beautiful. And now you take a look at what's going on at the border. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be pouring in. Mr. President. And, uh, uh, not even believable. You know, the situation in New York, I don't know if you've been following, Governor Cuomo seems to have lost all control. Everybody's finding out about the nursing home situation. You gave him the ship, which he didn't use, and you gave him the uh, facilities inside the Javits Center, which he didn't use. You've been following this. It looks like he's in serious trouble. I have. I'm a little surprised because usually the Democrats don't do it, but a lot of people don't like him. I got along with him. You know, we actually got along. So before we continue what he has to say, before Dominion, before Dominion, we must get Cuomo. That arrest will pop the rest of the world on ready, that are already at their limits. But remember, remember, those governors 
killed their own. Remember that article where I had him dressed as a grim reaper in August? Where I wrote about it and said that he was sending people to the nursing homes that had the flu with body bags. You remember that? He will be tried for murder. This is murder. Let's not forget all their speeches on how there's so many old people that are looking at old ways. Uh, I mean, old ways is in trusting your own hands, not being dependent on the government, not providing them full and unfettered access to all your private information. Is that old ways? <laughs> I think those are American ways, not old ways. So what you have to think about today, which is a, a day full of song, Cuomo is coming before that of Dominion. I don't want sort of okay, but a lot of people don't seem like I'm. I mean, he's he's being hit hard, and he's being hit hard by his own people. It's those those are the people that are really hitting him, and uh, pretty amazing. The Republicans are soft; they only hit their own, like Mitch. They hit their own; they don't hit. If he spent the same time hitting uh, Schumer and Biden. The Republicans would be much better off, that I can tell you. But no, I looked at it, and it's uh, it's a, it's surprising what's happened in New York. And, and we did. We gave them uh, the Javits Center. We gave them the ship, the great hospital ship. And it, essentially, they weren't used. Spent a lot of money, and they weren't used, and they should have been used. You could have had the patients go there. He could have had the patients go there since it was such a big problem. But he said he sent them to the most vulnerable population there is those that are in nursing homes, the ones that are dying, the ones that can catch a common cold and die. Yeah, that's where he sent them. Because, you know, politics. You could add people. It would have saved a lot of lives. It's too bad. Hey, uh, but it, totally, totally. Look, it's been, what, a month? Do you miss the job? Do you miss being president? You got to miss it. Well, I do, and we we're all set to make a deal with Iran. We we're all set. It would have been a great deal. Now it's—I see the deal they're talking about. It's a disaster. We we're all set to. Uh, we we're pulling out of the Middle East almost entirely, which we've almost done anyway. And we we're bringing a lot of soldiers home. A lot of our great soldiers were coming home. We spend a fortune protecting other countries, and the other countries don't even respect it. They don't pay for it. We pay for it. Countries that have plenty of money, we pay for it. So you know, all coming home. And everything was happening great. And then uh, we had uh, a disgusting, frankly, a very dishonest election. And uh, it was stolen. It was a stolen, fixed, rigged election. And it's too bad. But uh, we'll see. You'll see what happens. I mean, a lot of, a lot of great things are happening. As far as uh, 24, too early to say. But I see a lot of great polls out there, that's for sure. But they're you know, not they happy with... When, when people see the people, hundreds of thousands of people, they're forming caravans. Don't forget, when these countries, and I got along great with the countries, I stopped payment to them. We gave them $500 million a year. I stopped payment. They wouldn't take their people back. I said, that's okay. Don't take them back. I'm stopping payment. So we didn't give them the money, Greg. And then all of a sudden, they said, we welcome the people back. But when they said, and now all of a sudden, Biden agrees to it. I mean, he agrees to do that. It's... Uh, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. And when the countries send people up, because it's largely the countries that send them, they're not sending their stars. They're sending some rough people, some rough, rough people, people you don't want to talk about. 
And that's a lot of the people that are coming up are, you know, not the people you want. You know, Mr. President, you've been so good with your time. I got two more quick things. Long time ago, when you were thinking about running for president in 2012, I asked you on television if you might change your tone as president. And uh, you talked about how your tone was working very well for you. But you said at the time, you know, if I do become president, I might dial it back quite a bit. And if I don't, you may want to call me at the White House. When you look back, was there ever a time where, you know what? Look, I understand you were fighting all sides. You had to do what you had to do. But when you look back, is there like, maybe I could have eased up here or uh, maybe I'll do it differently next time? So perhaps, but I'm not sure I could have gotten elected. You know, I was fighting a lot. I was fighting the fake news because we get no news other than from you and a few outlets. You know, we get... We get a lot of fake news. You see what's happening last night with Biden saying about the vaccine, that uh, the vaccine, he, he didn't have, you know, that, that essentially, I guess he's trying to take credit for the vaccine. And, uh, you know, he's been lit up on that. But, you know, you see what goes on with the news. It's, it's uh, and it's gotten worse. I mean, it's worse today than I've ever seen it. It's worse today. And you look at the questions they're asked compared to the questions that I was asked. I don't care if they ask me tough questions, but let it be the same at least. It's, uh, I watched part of that news conference last night, and it's from a different world. It's from a totally yeah. different world. So if you're not going to be a little bit out there and a little bit strong, you're not going to get elected. Now, once you're there, or if you did it a second time, I could see that being different. But, you know, when I announced, uh, a lot of people didn't give me a great chance. They said he's not experienced and he's never done this before and all those things. And then I won and I won relatively easily. And, uh, you know, against some very talented Republicans and then ultimately against crooked Hillary. So, uh, you know, it's been, you know, the angriest person in this country right now, you know, that is uh, Hillary Clinton. Because they said, uh, she said, why didn't they do that for me? Why didn't they create votes in Michigan? Why didn't they create votes in some of these states that she lost by a pretty close margin, 10,000 votes in Michigan? She says, why does, why didn't they create these votes for me? It would have been easy. And, uh, because we did much better in the second election than we did in the first. The difference is, uh, we so-called lost, but, yeah. uh, most people don't, many people don't believe, believe that at all. So, so I think you, I think you can't tone it down too much because if you did, but I think going forward, you know, now I've been president, we've had a tremendously successful presidency. When you look at all of the things we've done, record setting things that we've done, I think we could absolutely turn it down now. Mr. President, we got to wrap it up uh, real quick. Who is the better golfer, you or um, Rush Limbaugh? Because I've seen you guys in the golf well, I, course I, before. I won't say, I won't say, but I will tell you this about Rush. He, I used to call him the bull because he was a strong, you know, in prime time, he was a strong guy. And when he hit it, it went very far. When the ball was hit properly, it went very far. I'd call him the bull. He was a strong guy. He was a great guy and he's going to be missed. And there was nobody like him. And even you as a professional would say that. I mean, there was just nobody like him. I was in awe of him. I saw him at his, I, I just, it was, I saw him speak live once and I realized, you know what? I'll never, ever, ever be able to do anything like that. Truly in awe. And a lot of people are in awe of you. And I, uh, I am, I am one of those people, uh, Mr. President, you've got amazing you. talent. And, you've been uh, so nice. No, it's you've been true. so nice. And I so appreciate it. And your audience is getting bigger and bigger and you're doing things that are really pretty amazing and pretty hard to do, but uh, everybody appreciates what you're doing, what you're saying. Your point of view has become very important, and uh, I congratulate you on that. Amazing job. Much.
Thank you, Mr. President. Be well, and thank you. Thank you very much, Greg. How awesome was that interview? How um, enlightening was it? How much did he tell you? Because he did tell you a lot if you were listening carefully. So he's looking at the polls today, not tomorrow, looking at the polls today, not tomorrow. And he is talking to the people and letting them know he's here. He's also letting them know he's figuring out how to get into communication with them. Did you guys notice how he was telling him how he knows his mom and dad very well? <laughs> like, be good. I know your parents. I love that about him. I love it. But what I do love is that he said quiet. So today, even though I was going to wing it a little bit and give some, I'm going to stay quiet until after tomorrow. Okay? I'm going to stay quiet. The president, I will stay quiet. I will stay quiet. Because he has to be quiet. I should be quiet. About let's just say about Dominion. Now, today, um, we have a House committee hearing that I wanted you guys to hear about Reddit and the co-founders. And it starts with, believe it or not, Maxine Waters. Um, and I wanted us to take a look at it and discuss that. I can't believe that it went on already. It's been on for 35 minutes. Don't know if we want to go to the recap or see the intro, but I guess we should hear what um, Representative Maxine Waters has to say, who's the chairwoman of this whole thing. I mean, how does she chair anything? She doesn't even know what day it is. <sighs> but I think it's important that the Robin Hood CEO, Reddit co-founder, and others testify about GameStop stock. So now we're at the House. So we're in Congress right now having the Financial Services Committee oversee how the people dared, how dare you try to manipulate the markets and mess up our retirement portfolios. If you are participating today, please keep your cameras on. And if you choose to attend a different remote proceeding, please turn your camera off. Today, we will make an exception and allow members from Texas to participate without their video function if they are experiencing power outages that prevent them uh, from having their videos working. If members wish to be recognized during the hearing, please identify yourself by name to facilitate recognition. I would also ask that members... Yeah, let's skip over this crap. ...as the chair examining today. Now, I recognize the ranking member of the committee, the gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. McHenry, for five minutes. Well, uh, thank you, Madam Chair. And um, let me just begin by saying, I believe Americans are far more sophisticated, informed, and capable than people in D.C. give them credit for. When I called for this hearing last month, I wanted this to be a fact-finding mission. We have speculation, we have headlines and finger-pointing, but we don't have the facts. We need facts, not just the salacious bits or nasty comments on Reddit. And look, there's plenty of that. We need the facts today. Now, some on the left are already floating new restrictions or things to, quote, protect these so-called uninformed retail investors who, in their eyes, don't know the difference between the Doge coin and the Dow Jones without Congress telling them. I think if, we're, if we've learned anything from the past few weeks, it's that these average everyday investors are pretty darn sophisticated. There is wisdom to the crowd. So let's zoom out on that idea just for a moment. 
The GameStop story represents a larger truth. A fundamental change is happening. Like never before, everyday investors can communicate, access more information, and work collectively to move markets all in real time. Technology is fueling this revolution. Congress cannot put technology back in the box. GameStop is the culmination of years of pent-up frustration. That frustration is now paired with faster, cheaper, and better technology. Consider for a moment that for every story of someone being able to pay off their student debt uh, from the GameStop trade, conversely, every story of somebody who lost money. There were stories of those who said they were investing in protest. In protest, they would gladly risk losing money just to prove a point. And now, uh, and while no one should ever risk investing money that they cannot afford to lose, let's tell the truth of why someone would do something like that. The sad truth is the K-shaped economy is nothing new in our capital markets because the structural core of our regulations literally enshrined inequity. Policies like the credit investor definition blatantly pick winners and losers. If you're wealthy, you're good to go. And if you're not, you're deemed too dumb to be trusted with your own money. So a privileged few get to invest alongside Ivy League endowments, getting early access in private markets to the greatest returns of the last two generations. But not so fast for the every average everyday investor. In the eyes of our government, you need to be protected. Protected from your own decisions, protected from your own money, protected from more opportunities. Yeah, you should be protected from everything. That's why we're here, he says, right? Sarcastically. You shouldn't be able to just use your money. What? And pay off things and make money? Like, who do you think you are, average citizen? Maxine Waters is right. We should totally have this, you know, whole hearing and sold regular citizens for daring to have free speech with their own money. You mean showcasing their and flexing their power. We can't have that. So let's see who speaks first. Let's see what this crazy ass woman has to say. The chair on the Democratic side would be called as well. Uh, that's what I was told by your staff. Uh, well, thank you very much. Um, if uh, that is the order that has been organized, I will cease my introductions and I will call on you, Mr. Sherman, uh, to please go ahead and uh, make an opening statement. Thank you. Wait, did that guy just tell her what she's supposed to be doing? Um, did he just tell her your staff told me? She's like, oh, well, if that's the plan, then I'll stop and um, I'll let you speak. Um, what just happened here? Thank you so much. Back in the day, the law school professor would create an exam where he'd weave together a story that would exemplify each of the issues in that area of the law. But never did the professor do it as good a job as the GameStop saga, which identifies most of the issues facing our capital markets. Short selling. Could there be limits or required additional disclosures? What do we do with market participants, whether they be on Reddit or in, on Wall Street, who are shorting a stock or buying a stock for the purpose of influencing its price? What is this payment for order flow model 
And what does it mean when some participants get best execution and some get enhanced best execution? In price enhanced best execution. And are all traders being treated fairly? And is payment for order flow free to the consumer? We need to look at the plumbing where it takes two days to settle a transaction, but also why is it the broker's capital rather than the customer's capital that is posted uh, during the two-day period? And finally, we need to look at the gamification and glorification of high-frequency uh, trading. I thank uh, the chairwoman. Oh, we shouldn't be playing games and glorifying and, and using anything. So let's go straight to where this clown takes an oath. And he begins to speak. Let's go. Confirm that the testimony you will give to this committee and the matters now under consideration will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Mr. Tanel? I do. Mr. Griffin? I do. Mr. Plotkin? Mr. Plotkin? I was muted. I apologize. I do. Thank you. Mr. Huffman? I do. Mr. Gill? I do. Ms. Clark? I do. Thank you very much. Let the record show that all of the witnesses answered in the affirmative. We will now begin with their oral testimony. Mr. Janelle, you are recognized for five minutes to present your oral testimony. Chairwoman Waters, Ranking Member McHenry, members of the committee. My name is Vlad Tenev, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Robinhood. Thank you for the invitation. Oh my gosh, stop, stop. For those of you that are listening, I want you to picture, okay, for those of you that have watched <laughs> He looks like Professor Snape in, 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 in like, <laughs> I'm sorry. This caught me by surprise. I can't. I'm looking at his face and I can't take him seriously. Oh my God. <laughs> Please. It's like, you know, <laughs> have you guys ever seen those haircuts where it looks like, you know, you put a bowl on your head and then you cut the hair, but it's not like that. <laughs> it's only longer. I'm so sorry. I can't. This guy is worth millions. And this is a, oh my gosh, fire your hairdresser. Maybe he needs that guy that's viral where people are changing their hair. He needs some Mondo in his life. You know, that, that dude that convinced people to, well, he, he does really good hair. I have to say, um, I want to get him to do my hair, but, um, you know, add extensions and make me look super hot, but, um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just can't express to you how this caught me off guard. Yeah, I'm really trying to gather. Let me just play him while I laugh in silence. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. ...to speak about Robinhood and the millions of people we serve. Almost eight years... That's it. He reminds me of the Robin Hood guy on the cartoon with that hair. All he's missing is the hat and the tights. For real. Picture it. Go, Beju Bot and I founded Robinhood. We believed then, as we do now, that the financial system should be built to work for everyone, not just a select few. We dreamed of making investing more accessible, especially for people without a lot of money. 
The stock market is a powerful wealth creator, but half of U.S. Mr. households Mr. participated. Mr. Uh, I would like you to use your limited time to talk directly to what happened January 28th and your involvement in it. Certainly. Madam Chair, Madam Chair, the witness has the opportunity to, to, to give their own testimony. Excuse me, you are not time for your questioning. You are not recognized, uh, Mr. Uh, <laughs> please go right ahead and speak joke? directly to the question. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> We created Robinhood to economically empower all Americans by opening financial markets to them. I was born in Bulgaria, a country with a financial system that was on the verge of collapse. At the age of five, I immigrated with my family to America in search of a better life. I have benefited from all America has to offer, and Robinhood's mission to democratize finance for all has a very special significance for me. Robinhood's platform allows people from all backgrounds to invest in a day, even out hour. One specific day, January 28th, proved to be a completely unprecedented event. The spike in trading activity and volatility meant that Robinhood Securities, our clearing broker, had to hold the line and post additional firm capital as collateral to support our clearinghouse deposit demands. To put it in perspective, on January 28th, our daily deposit requirement was 10 times more than on January 25th. As a result, Robinhood Securities, along with many other firms, imposed temporary trading restrictions on certain securities. We began allowing limited buys of these securities the following day, and we've since lifted the restrictions entirely. So here's what they're saying. They stopped the trading, but they were told what to say. I'm going to tell you what they were told to say. You remember how they were talking about the clearinghouse? Okay. So like I wanted to buy Niobium. So I moved, um, so I opened up two accounts, one with Ameritrade and one with E-Trade. Now with Ameritrade, for some reason, my historic building where I live in is coming up as a prison. So <laughs> I have to send the verification that the iconic building of Cleveland is not a prison. Yet they have my money and I can't do anything with it until I send that off, which is fine. E-Trade opened it up right just fine, but it took them days to clear my money because they have my money and with my money that's available, I can buy. So I spent a hundred dollars and I bought Niobium. So, um, that means that they used my money because they won't let me make a purchase unless I have money. So now he's talking about clearing house. Let me explain that to you. Basically, um, uh, an institution that executes trades on behalf of others can do it in credit, meaning they don't have to have the money with uh, someone else in order for it to clear because they've been deemed good for it. Now, he says that they put a pause on it because there was so much money that they had to pay up front as a company that they just didn't have enough of that money there and they had to let it settle first beforehand, which is all bullshit. They had the people's money. That's their problem, not yours. You're supposed to be able to execute. And now they're using that as an excuse because that's what the big banks would tell them to say. That we just did it because we didn't want to get in trouble. And you see how the Republican set it up so he can help him? Yeah, we need to look at these pipelines of two days of settling. You see how they bring it? You see how they bring it? They each bounce off each other. You still think that there's a Republican Party and a Democrat Party? Stop.
That tells you everything you need to know. He just told you what excuse they're going to use. Well, we just did it because, you know, even though we have the people's money, we don't have the money with the other people. So we didn't want to get in trouble, you know, floating millions and millions of dollars. So, um, you know, we just stopped. Uh, but then we resumed afterwards after people got scared and started to sell off. We started to resume again. Yeah, it wasn't because they told you to. You're going to use that loophole that's been going on for forever in a day of settling and clearinghouse bullshit to use it as your defense. You suck. Let's skip over him. Who's next? Let's see who this guy is. Okay, let's go to Citadel. Let's look at the Biden money man. Marvels. According to Gallup, about 55% of Americans own stock right now. Citadel Securities, as the largest market maker in the U.S. equities market, executes more trades on behalf of retail investors than any other firm. As I will discuss shortly, Citadel Securities played an important role in meeting the needs of retail investors during the week of January 24th. Before doing so, I want to be perfectly clear. We had no role in Robinhood's decision to limit trading in GameStop or any of the other meme stocks. I first learned of Robinhood's trading restrictions only after they were publicly announced. Ah, uh, sure, sure. Your institutional brokers didn't contact and say, dude, we're bleeding money. <laughs> sure they didn't. Let's see your communications. Because I'm sure all of you are sloppy. We want Facebook, Twitter. I mean... We want texts, we want sell, we want emails, all of them. Let's check. Let's check. Mr. I'm reading a script right now and not moving and trying to make it look natural, which makes it even more unnatural. All of us at Sales Securities are committed to the healthy functioning of the U.S. equities markets. Now, I first participated in the financial markets as a retail investor in the late 1980s while attending college. Why do they always play this tiny violin? I started in the basement. I started in a garage. I started as a kid trading. No one cares where your story is. It's the facts. Now let's go over here. Let's look at this crazy chick. Introducing the next. Chairwoman Waters, Ranking Member McHenry, and members of the committee, I would like to thank you for this opportunity to share Melvin Kaplan's perspective on the recent trading activity in GameStop. I am the founder and chief investment officer of Melvin Capital. I'm humbled by these unprecedented events. My investors on all sides, many investors on all sides have experienced losses. I am here today to share my own personal experience and to be helpful in this conversation. I understand that part of the focus of this hearing is the decision of stock trading platforms to limit trading in GameStop. Wasn't Melvin found, well, Melvin with some other members found to have done some dirty business. I'm just saying like, that sounds really like the fact that he's reading it like this is driving me insane. Let's see what's going on here. Okay. Let's see. In the case of Donald John Trump signed sincerely, Cheryl L. Johnson. Speaker house of representatives, madam, pursuant to the permission granted in clause two H rule two of the rules of the U S house of representatives, the clerk received the following message from the Secretary of the Senate on February 16th, 2021. Oh, there's at a pro forma session. AM. What happened there? Take you back live now to coverage of the okay. House hearing that was on GameStop stock trading. Oh, here's the CEO of Reddit who went corp, but whatever. 
This team searched high and low for the specific comment mentioned in the previous testimony or anything like it. The closest we could find was a single comment that received no votes and was deleted within five minutes. Such speech is not tolerated on Reddit. And we will, of course, investigate any further claims of this nature. Centralized moderation is common, but Reddit additionally uses a governance structure akin to a federal democracy, where the aforementioned policies and teams represent the federal government and the communities themselves represent states. All communities, or subreddits, are created by users that we call moderators. They set the community's rules, which may be as strict as they like, as long as they are not in conflict with the platform-wide policies, and they have a variety of tools of enforcing these rules independently. Moderators are not paid employees, but rather users who are passionate about their communities. They yeah, my karma is negative 99. It doesn't go below that. I'm like a serious outcast on Reddit, like with one of my, with my actual originate original profiles. My karma's negative 99. Next. My purchases of GameStop shares and my discussions of their fair value on social media. It is true that my investment in that company multiplied in value many times. For that, I feel enormously fortunate. I also believe the current price of the shares demonstrates that I've been right about the company. A few things I am not. I'm not a cat. I am not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. I do not have clients, and I do not provide personalized investment advice for fees or commissions. I'm just an individual whose investment in GameStop and posts on social media were based upon my own research and analysis. I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts. My family was not wealthy. My father was a truck driver, and my mom Gosh, registered. tiny violins! I can't stand them! I was them. one of three kids and the first in my family to earn a four-year college degree when I graduated from Stonehill College in 2009. That so was not a good time to be looking for a job. From 2010 to 2017, I worked at a few startup companies, but there were significant periods when I was unemployed. I took an interest in the stock market, and even though I had very little money, I used those times to educate myself and learn more about investing. In 2019, after nearly two years unemployed, I accepted a marketing and financial education job at MassMutual. My wife, Caroline, and I were thrilled that I had an income and benefits. My job was to help develop financial education classes that advisors could present to prospective clients. I was not a stockbroker or a financial advisor. I did not talk to clients, and I did not recommend stocks for them to buy. Before and after I joined MassMutual, I studied and followed stocks. One of those was GameStop. In early June of 2019, the price of GameStop stock declined below what I thought was its fair value. I invested in GameStop in 2019 and 2020 because, as I studied the company, I became more and more confident in my analysis. Two important factors, based entirely on publicly available information, gave me confidence that GameStop was undervalued. First, the market was underestimating the prospects of GameStop's legacy business and overestimating the likelihood of bankruptcy. I grew up playing video games and shopping at GameStop, and I plan to continue shopping there. GameStop stores still provide real value to consumers and reliable revenue for GameStop. Second, I believe that GameStop has the potential to reinvent itself as the ultimate destination for gamers within the rapidly growing $200 billion gaming industry. GameStop has a unique opportunity to pivot toward a technology-driven business. By embracing the digital economy, GameStop may be able to find new revenue streams that vastly exceed the value of its business.
You mean like Bitcoin? I'm hardly the only person who has advocated these points. When I wrote and spoke about GameStop and social media with other individual investors, our conversations were no different from people in a bar or on a golf course or at home talking or arguing about a stock. Hedge funds and other Wall Street firms have teams of analysts working together to compile research and analyze shares of companies. Individual investors do not have those resources. Social media platforms like Reddit, YouTube, and Twitter are leveling the playing field. The idea that I use social media to promote GameStop stock to unwitting investors and influence the market is preposterous. So basically, they're trying to charge this guy with like, we have analysts and a whole team that gives like really efficient information. Like when I bought, let me, let me see if I can um, pull it up. When I bought on E-Trade, when I bought my Niobium, I look at the stock and what it recommended. Um, hold on. Let me see. And, okay, so Niobium. Wow. I, dang. So Reuters isn't reporting. Morgan Stanley isn't reporting. Analyst research. Tip ranks analyst. Moderate buy. So it gives you like an inclination of what their analysts say. It's a moderate buy. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not giving financial advice. I'm telling you my opinion, right? And I'm showing you how niobium is a superconductor and we're entering into the quantum age. And obviously, we're going to want something that's a superconductor. We're not going to use steel or gold, right? And obviously, not neuronal biochip cells. But what we have been seeing over time is that this specific type of investment um, may indeed be fruitful and or may not, right? Or may not. I mean, look, my $100 has, has made me $8 right now. And it's like, damn, can't get interest with that. That's me talking on my own thing. I'm not a trader. I guess I am now, right? <laughs> but that's what he's saying. So I'm having a conversation with people. I'm telling them my opinion. I'm not saying I'm like some mega, you know, investor, but we're sitting here talking. And I'm like, yeah, I can do it. And why not? Wait a minute. Take it this way. This guy sat there with friends on a platform and they're talking. They're like, yo, we could make him stop. Boom. Right. All we have to do is put our money where our mouth is. That's the whole point of investing. I'm investing in you to you know, make an airplane. Here's some money. I'm investing in you to provide me the news. Here's my money. I'm investing in you, GameStop, to make that pivot, start taking cryptocurrency, move that shit online, and take it all home. Start selling desks and chairs and all the gaming stuff. This is your one-shop GameStop. And I believe in that. How many of you out there believe it? You do? Great. Let's put our money where our mouth is. That's what investing is. So what they're trying to do is criminalize that, that you, the people, the consumer, don't have the right to invest in things you like. How dare you provide money to this? We're going to show you. Now, while Bitcoin, and I am so saddened that, you know, I had to sell the little Bitcoin I had uh, when I was in financial hardship, because at that time it had you know, gone to like $5,000, uh, max. And now it would have been $30,000. I would have been able to buy a house and sell it, 
you know, or buy a car that I need and sell it. But, you know, I was in hardship. I really wish I didn't have to get rid of it. I really did wish that I didn't have to get rid of it. Even $300 worth of Bitcoin right now would have been 3000 I feel horrible, but I had to. Investing is you put your money in there, you hold on to it there, and then you get out when you need it or you keep it in there because you're a shareholder in that company, right? That's how it works. That's how it works. They're trying to criminalize that process by saying you're not allowed to talk with your friend because you're market manipulating. Fuck yeah, we are. When we boycott you, we are market manipulating. You will not sell shit. That's the way it goes. If I like your brand, I'm going to be like, yo, buy this because I like them. And I, I totally back them because I love their fruit. I love their vegetables. I love what they provide. I love their video games. I love their service. We have the right to do that. Oh, no, you don't because you have a big platform. I'm sorry. So you're going to moderate my voice and consider me an institution are you trying to say that I'm a corporate entity as myself? Because that's the only way you can govern what I say if I'm a corporate entity, because only corporate entities can be regulated by law, not free and independent people. So, you know, when I bought myself Naya Corp, right? I say, well, well, I see this as a future. I'm going to put a hundred dollars and hopefully that'll help my children out in the future. That's great. Right. I don't need an analyst to see it. I see science. I see where we're going. I see who's digging and what we're doing. And I see that precious earth mining in Greenland is big. You know, I see people looking for asteroids. It's big. And Niobium is a shit. So I say it, right? It's good. It's good. It's good. He says, I like GameStop. I like it. Everybody does. And you know what? All these people are betting it on going bankrupt. Fuck them. No. Citadel, no Congress, no Morgan Stanley, no Thomson Reuters. You're not going to eliminate them so you can hand it over to Bezos or hand it over to someone else. We, I really want to be able to go there and buy used games and save myself $5 or sell my game back for a dollar. It's still a dollar. I want to be able to do that. And you're not going to take it away from me. And you're going to replace it with something you want. That's the way it is. Sorry, I'm not taking it. I'm going to invest in this company because I believe in them. And that's exactly what investing is. So they're trying to criminalize it. That's why it's important we hear his testimony. My post did not cause the movement of billions of dollars into GameStop shares. It is tragic that some people lost money and my heart goes out to them. But what happened in January just demonstrates again that investing in public securities is extremely risky. As I said earlier, I consider myself and my family fortunate with our investment. When the stock price broke $20 in December, I knew my investment was a success. I was so happy to visit my family in Brockton for the holidays. The money will go such a long way for us. We had an incredibly difficult 2020. Most difficult was the tragic and unexpected loss of my sister, Sarah, in June. I am grateful to be in a position to give back to and support my family. As for what happened in January, others will have to explain it. It's alarming how little we know about the inner workings of the market. And I am thankful that this committee is examining what happened. I also want to say that I support retail investors' right to invest in what they want, when they want. I support the right of individuals to send a message based on how they invest. As for me, I like the stock. I'm as bullish as I've ever been on a potential turnaround for GameStop, and I remain invested in the company. Thank you.
Cheers, everyone. Thank you, Mr. Gibbs. Stock ownership traditionally has been skewed towards the already wealthy, and it is highly correlated with race, education, and age. Retail investors making up this new surge are different. Recent research by the FINRA Investor Education Foundation and NORC at the University of Chicago found that investors who opened accounts for the first time in 2020 were younger, had lower incomes, and were more racially diverse. These new investors also held lower account balances. This may portend, as one of the researchers noted, quote, a shift towards more equitable investment participation. These new opportunities for individuals to grow their wealth should be welcomed and expanded, not restricted. Now I'll turn to GameStop. At the outset, I will note that it is difficult to analyze the impact of the trading in GameStop and other stocks because many facts are unknown. But some things seem clear. Importantly, the temporary volatility in these stocks did not present a systemic risk to market function. As the Treasury Department recognized, the market's, quote, core infrastructure was resilient during high volatility and heavy trading volume. This is not surprising. Despite the huge trading volume and rapid increase in value, only a small part of the market was affected, and spillover effects on the wider market were mild and short-lived. The fact that GameStop traded temporarily and perhaps still trades above fair estimates of the company's value is not, by itself, a reason for concern. Stock prices move in and out of alignment all the time, and markets are no strangers to bubbles. If a company is valued by the market differently than a review of its fundamentals suggests, it might indicate that the analysis is missing relevant information about a company's prospects, or it might indicate that the company's stock price is due for a correction. The market's mechanisms, including the tool of short selling, generally work well to handle these circumstances. Stepping in to prevent trading where a stock price moves contrary to conventional wisdom could deprive the market of important informa information. The SEC, among a host of others, is reviewing the relevant trading and conducting a study of the events. The SEC will have access to far more information than has been made publicly available, and I believe it has the tools necessary to address any harmful misconduct that may have occurred. I cannot opine on whether any regulatory changes are warranted on this incomplete record. I tend to believe the answer will be no in light of the minimal impact on the market's function. But if regulators learn more, there may be areas identified for improvement. By no means, though, should these events lead to restrictions on retail investors' access to the markets. Thank you, and I welcome any questions that you may have. Thank you, Ms. Shaw. And now I recognize myself five minutes for questions. The market volatility surrounding GameStop and other securities has highlighted how many people feel that the cards are stacked against them and that market participants, like our witnesses, hide the ball. Mr. Geneve, you explained that Robinhood restricted transactions in certain securities to meet demands coming from your clearinghouse. And yet, on January 28th, you represented uh, to the media that there was no uh, liquidity problem. Isn't it true that being concerned about having enough capital uh, to meet deposit requirements, isn't that a liquidity problem? Or could you just answer yes or no? Chairwoman Waters, I appreciate the opportunity to address that. Just yes or no? 
we always felt comfortable with our liquidity and the additional capital that Robinhood raised. Please answer yes or no. We always felt comfortable. I don't have time. I just need a yes or no answer. I, I stand by my statement. The additional capital we raised wasn't to meet capital requirements or deposit so requirements. Excuse me. I'm reclaiming my time. This liquidity problem has <laughs> real consequences for your customers. But I wonder if they were all that surprised. Between December 2019 and December 2020, Robinhood customers experienced monetary loss. So let me tell you something, okay? I'm going to stop it right there because I can't watch this reclaiming my time and not letting him speak. The bottom line is this whole Robin Hood shen shenanigans, everything that you're seeing is all about your free speech. Remember when everyone was proud of Goya, so what did we go and do? We went and bought a lot of Goya, right? We bought a lot of Goya. And that was to show that we stand with them. We had it flying off the shelves. Well, what if we all bought shares instead? One share, you know, if it's expensive, half a share. Well, you can't buy half a share, but one share, 10 shares. That's showing that you support that company. See, this is a new wave. No more boycott. You have portfolios, change them. Go straight into buying stock into what you believe in. The more you support the things that you believe in, the more they exist and seem to ride the wave. That's basically it. It's all about free speech. See, people are now learning the real way to put their money where their mouth is. I don't like Starbucks. That's okay. I'll buy their coffee. But you know what? I'm going to invest in this coffee company, even though I'm buying their coffee because they're everywhere. And at some point, everyone will move their money into that coffee company. And guess what? Starbucks will go bust. That's how you fix things. You put your money where your mouth is. That is you as a consumer telling the world where you want it. I shop at Target. They don't like it. But you know what? I'm going to invest in this company because it aligns more with my values. I like my pillow. Well, let's go buy some my pillow stock. We don't just need to buy their pillows. Let's buy my pillow stock. You got mattress firm? Drop that stock and tell them I'm selling because you're an asshole. That's how you do it. Because once you dump their stock and no one's buying it, they lose money. Investors lose confidence. Therefore, they have no more contracts to sell and they're bust. Hmm? That's real free speech right there. That's really putting your money where your mouth is. You see, that's how you move it along. You move things along by doing that. I'm just saying. We buy stock. We make them important. We sell stock. We send them into panic. While all of us are sitting there on mutual funds and 401ks and IRAs, you know, that people pick for us, you could pick to drop it, I don't know, into a silverback portfolio. I mean, that squeeze is going to be coming quick. You could drop it into single stocks and say, you know, I'm buying it. I'm going to let it sit. I'm going to let it ride. So that's how you make things happen. Like I even looked to see if the Trump organization had like stock. So that way I could buy like one stock just to say, I, I like the Trump organization. I'm going to buy a stock and be a shareholder. Even if it's one stock, I want it. See, that's how you make things go. Those of you that have Amazon, it's at 3000 now. Sell it. Invest it somewhere else. Watch the markets panic. I mean, I'm just saying this is, this is how you exercise your free speech. So speaking of free speech, 
I want us to move along into free speech because I have some really, really interesting stuff lined up for that. Uh, it's actually quite good. It's actually quite good. I'm not going to put music on now. It's quite good. Hold on. But before we, ooh, we should get to that. I have to show Pelosi's speech today. I have to. You guys have to listen to this. This is about the vaccine. It's really important you listen to this because this is why the 25th Amendment isn't going to fly. And this is why we have to be on our toes so quick, so quick. Listen carefully to this. And how we have to protect the American people from what might be out there in terms of domestic terrorism and the rest. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I want to ask you, on January 13th, a number of your Democrat colleagues sent a letter to the Sergeant at Arms and U.S. Capitol Police regarding potential reconnaissance force by GOP members that happened on January 5th prior to January 6th. How did know if these have been confirmed and if there's an update on that specific aspect of the investigation? No, of uh, uh, anything like that would remain between the member who has the members who know of such uh, actions, and uh, I don't know what the I don't know. I do not know. Perhaps I will find out at some point, but I do not know what members they are referencing. I think that's between them and whoever would be investigating it. Have you seen that letter from January 13th? Yeah, the letter that was signed by members. Yeah, that was a matter of public in the public domain. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Do you anticipate that this commission will have subpoena power? I mean, what kind of power yeah. do you think the commission yeah. will have? Well, you can't have, you have to have subpoena power. Yes. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Do you think that teachers need to be vaccinated before heading back into the classroom? Well, it depends on, some, I think, the degree of uh, the incidence of COVID in their area. Uh, I think, I think teachers should be vaccinated. I don't know that they must be vaccinated before going Whoa. So they started with the teachers. So you have to think of yourself because I saw it in my daughter's school. Like they had a day off because they gave teachers day off to go and get vaccinated. So you have to think, why are they forcing teachers to get vaccinated? If they're going to children that are not vulnerable, are they getting vaccinated to protect themselves or to protect others? Because this is what they're saying, right? That's number one. Now the question is, do the teachers, do they have to get vaccinated to get back? Now that's unconstitutional. Right. It's unconstitutional, kind of like that clown from Ohio that was like, well, if you get vaccinated, you get fourteen hundred dollars. Um, what he just said is illegal. It is illegal. So look at what she says. Well, I don't know. It depends on the covid, but I don't think it's mandatory. Wait, wait. This is sticky. Listen carefully. Yeah, we're very proud of what's in our bill when it comes to education because this is where we're saying that we want the children to be in school. Again, I told you about my daughter not having water in Houston. I have a granddaughter in public school uh, in um, San Francisco. So uh, I see the tiny violin, my daughter in Texas with no, you know, heating, you know, no power, right? Which by the way, let me ask you a question. How many days has this been going on? Uh-huh. And why is it that the Democrats haven't sent aid in FEMA? They're doing it now. So all these days, they've done nothing. President Trump, within 24 hours of anything, had people out there. Why hasn't President-elect Biden done Why didn't he do it? Seems like the Biden-Harris administration is unfit. 
because they are not upholding the Constitution. I want you all to revisit the oath. You have to read the oath. Read the oath that the president takes. He has violated that again and again and again and again. And that is the argument that is being built. Again, uh, they have no power. Where are you? How many days do they have to be without power before FEMA goes? We sent people in a heartbeat in Puerto Rico, even though they were hiding things we sent them from day zero. Uh, the need for that to happen is, again, in her case, she has all the technology and the assistance at home, and some children do not. So we want as many kids to be back in school as possible. For that to happen, it takes some money. It takes some money because you have to have spatial distancing, which means you need more space. Therefore, you need more teachers. Therefore, you need more buses for, for kids to be spaced to come to school. You need better ventilation. 40% of the school public schools in the country have uh, substandard ventilation. So we need a lot more money for the Department of Education or to get schools back is what Nancy's saying. I'm going to stop her right there. Now, think about it. The biggest industry, transport industry, is the airline industry. It is the most federally regulated industry. You get patted down, soon they're going to be giving, you know, according to the Chinese. And, you know, it's just a glorified flying bus. Yet, at that place, where you pay premium dollar, where you have the highest security, for some reason, you get packed like sardines on that. But school buses, you can't. You see where I'm going with this? It really doesn't add up. It doesn't add up at all. At all. So I thought for like an intermission, it would be fun to troll a couple of fun videos. And for those of you that are listening, I'm going to ask my archivist um, to remove this portion of it so you don't get jelly. Whatever floats your boat, whatever. But don't talk shit about others if your boat is floating that way. All right. Let's take a break. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have but one deed. Desire and that one is you. No other will do. All right, that was a short intermission, enough to get some coffee. So let's start off with something that um, I kind of uh, telegrammed about, but I, I thought it would be interesting for us to revisit. I have indeed told you guys about the story of uh, the goddess Columbia. Well, one thing a lot of people don't talk about is George Washington's divine vision. And there are people that have talked about it and, you know, created some form of video. But no one talks about um, how Columbia came to be and what he saw. So here are his words. This is George Washington's vision. This afternoon, as I was sitting at this table engaged in preparing a dispatch, something seemed to disturb me. Looking up, I beheld, standing opposite me, a singularly beautiful female, 
so astonished was I. For I had given strict orders not to be disturbed. That it was some moments before I found language to inquire the cause of her presence. A second, a third, and even fourth time did I repeat my question, but received no answer from my mysterious visitor except a slight raising of her eyes. By this time, I felt strange sensations spreading through me. I would have risen, but the riveted gaze of the being before me rendered volition impossible. I essayed once more to address her, but my tongue had become useless, as though it had become paralyzed. A new influence, mysterious, potent, irresistible, took possession of me. All I could do was to gaze steadily, vacantly at my unknown visitor. Gradually, the surrounding atmosphere seemed as if it had become filled with sensations and luminous. Everything about me seemed to rarefy, the mysterious visitor herself becoming more airy and yet more distinct to my sight than before. I now began to feel as one dying or rather to experience the sensations which I have sometimes imagined accompany dissolution. I did not think, I did not reason, I did not move. All were alike impossible. I was only conscious of gazing fixedly, vacantly at my companion. Presently, I heard a voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn while at the same time my visitor extended her arm eastwardly, I now beheld a heavy white vapor at some distance rising fold upon fold. This gradually dissipated, and I looked upon a stranger scene. Before me lay spread out in one vast plain all the countries of the world, Europe, Asia, Africa, and America. I was rolling and tossing between Europe and America, the billows of the Atlantic, and between Asia and America lay the Pacific. Son of the Republic, said the mysterious voice as before, look and learn. At that moment, I beheld a dark, shadowy being like an angel, standing or rather floating in midair between Europe and America, dipping water out of the ocean in the hollow of each hand, and sprinkled some upon America with his right, while with his left hand he cast some on Europe. Immediately a cloud raised from these countries and joined in mid-ocean. For a while it remained stationary and then moved slowly westward until it enveloped America in its murky folds. Sharp flashes of lightning gleam through it at intervals, and I heard the smothered groans and cries of the American people. A second time, the angel dipped water from the ocean and sprinkled it out as before. The dark cloud was then drawn back to the ocean, in whose heaving billows in sank from view. A third time, I heard the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. I cast my eyes upon America and beheld villages and towns and cities springing up 
one after another until the whole land from the Atlantic to the Pacific was dotted with them. Again, I heard a mysterious voice say, Son of the Republic, the end of the century cometh. Look and learn. At this, the dark shadowy angel turned his face southward. And from Africa, I saw an ill-omened specter approach our land. It fitted slowly over the town and city of the latter. The inhabitants presently set themselves in battle array against each other. As I continued looking, I saw a bright angel on whose brow rested a crown of light on which was traced the word union, bearing an American flag, which he placed between the divided nation and said, Remember ye our brethren. Instantly the inhabitants, casting from their weapons, became friends once more and united around a national standard. And again, I heard the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. At this, the dark shadowy angel placed a trumpet to his mouth and blew three distinct blasts. And taking water from the ocean, he sprinkled it upon Europe, Asia, and Africa. Then my eyes beheld a fearful scene. From each of these countries arose a thick black clouds that were joined into one. Throughout this mass, there gleamed a dark red light by which I saw hordes of armed men moving with the cloud, marched by land and sailed by sea to America. Our country was enveloped in this volume of cloud, and I saw these vast armies devastate the whole country and burn the villages, towns, and cities that I beheld springing up. As my ears listened to the thundering of the cannon, clashing of the sword, and the shouts and cries of millions in mortal combat, I heard again the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic. Look and learn. When the voice ceased, the dark shadowy angel placed his trumpet once more to his mouth and blew a long and fearful blast. Instantly, a light as of a thousand suns shone down from above me and pierced and broke into fragments the dark cloud which enveloped America. At the same moment, the angel upon those whose heads still shone the word union and bore our national flag in one hand and a sword in another descended from the heavens, attended by legions of white spirits. These immediately joined the inhabitants of America, who I perceived were well nigh overcome, but who immediately taking courage again, closed up their broken ranks and renewed the battle. Again, amid the fearful noise of conflict, I heard the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. As the voice ceased, the shadowy angel for the last time dipped water from the ocean and sprinkled it upon America. Instantly, a dark cloud rolled back together with the armies it had brought, leaving the inhabitants of the land victorious. Then once more, 
I beheld villages, towns, and cities springing up where I had seen them before. While the bright angel planting the azure standed, he had brought in the midst of them, cried with a loud voice, While the stars remain and the heavens send down dew upon the earth, so long shall the union last. And taking from his brow the crown, which was blazing the word union, he placed it upon the standard, while the people kneeling down said, Amen. The scene instantly began to fade and dissolve, and I at last saw nothing but the rising, curling vapor I first beheld, this also disappearing. I found myself once more gazing upon the mysterious visitor, who in the same voice I heard before said, Son of the Republic, what you have seen is thus interpreted. Three great perils will come upon the Republic. The most fearful is the third. But in this greatest conflict, the whole world united shall not prevail against her. Let every child of the Republic learn to live for his God, his land, and the Union. With these words, the, vin the vision vanished. And I started from my seat and felt that I had seen a vision wherein had been shown to me the birth, progress, and destiny of the United States. Now, not a lot of people talk about this, right? Not a lot of people talk about this, of what George Washington had said. Actually, there's a painting um, that I found on McNaughton Fine Art Company. He does a lot of patriotic paintings. And I was kind of looking to see, um, you know, what I can get for someone for their birthday that's coming up in a few months. But obviously, you can spend $200. You're going to save up for it. So, you know, I was kind of like <laughs> figuring it out. And I stumbled upon this, and he had the whole thing there. So it's like you see this, and you're just like, three perils. And I want you to think of this for a second. Let's just hypothetically speak it. So there were three perils, which indeed we have seen that have rolled in from other nations. The first one was our civil war. It was described by brothers fighting and then the flag uniting around it, right? The other one was the world wars. And hence, this is the final one. I've always said it's the whole world against us, isn't it? They want us to bow down. They want us to kneel and become one. They want the United Nations, which is now based in Africa, obviously, uh, South Africa to be exact, to be united as one, to sequester the power. That's what they want. And they do not want people talking about it. I mean, they, want, they don't want people talking about it so bad that Australia is now banned. The whole country of Australia has been banned from Facebook. Did you guys know that? And you have to think to yourself, it, there's so few of these leaders that are wanting it. How are they going to make it happen? That's a question that many people still act, ask themselves. How is it that ordinary citizens become murderers? and destroy their own people. And this is what you need to 
pay attention to today. 17 season. During all of our programs this fall, we'll examine some of the most timeless and vexing questions that come out of the history of the Holocaust. As our founding chairman, Elie Wiesel, said almost 25 years ago when we opened our doors to the public, this museum is not an answer. It is a question mark. For the past quarter century, we have examined the many complex questions that this history raises. Questions like, why are some people attracted to extreme and hateful ideologies? Why are others willing to take extraordinary risks to help their neighbors or even people they don't know? And why do societies fail? These are challenging and consequential questions. By pushing these questions forward, the museum is building a pipeline of young people and leaders that understand the importance and the significance of the Holocaust and who are willing to take an active role in confronting the divisions in their communities nation, and at the, in the world at large. Tonight, we will focus on one of the most fundamental questions about human nature. Why do people become collaborators or perpetrators? To guide us in this conversation, I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator. Ralph Blumenthal understands the art of asking tough questions and telling complicated stories. He is the author of six books, and for more than 45 years, he was a New York Times reporter. He covered a West Germany when I reported from there in the 1960s. Now, before we get to them, I want you to listen to a Holocaust survivor and what she had to say about the Yellow Star. Now, this is damn interesting. I'll tell you that. It's very interesting. Here we go. When the Germans came in March 19th in 44, uh, for a week, and there didn't happen nothing too much. After a week, we were told we have to wear yellow star, and everybody has to have it on their clothing, and nobody can go out without having it on, and if you are caught without having it on, then you would be punished. I don't remember how we got the stars, really. I don't remember that. I just know that the week after they were there, we had to wear them. We had more now that I think because it was March and we had an overcoat and it was on that and, and I had a short jacket and it was on that too. It was sewn on. So uh, I always wore either the long coat or, or the jacket. I felt very bad about it and it's very interesting that we were taking in school at that time about medieval times. And it was so, so, uh, I couldn't say interesting, but it was so, such a coincidence that we had learned so many things, what happened then. And us as, as a young person, I was thinking that with all the progress, which I thought that we progressed, that we are going backwards. We are in medieval times. You have to have something on that they should see everybody that you are that bad person or you are that person who committed the crime. And so it brings me to what I wanted to show you. So I wrote an article this morning on torysays.com. Uh, there's a viral video going around. Um, obviously, other uh, 
news outlets reported on it and said, oh, you know, they said it didn't, you know, it's not their policy that this isn't true, but I want to show you the video and you tell me. So I titled it The New Order UK Edition, Plagiarized Adolf Hitler's Playbook, because that's exactly what they did. So we all know that when we go to a store, we have to wear shoes and we have to wear shirts and no animals except for service ones, right? And the reason that we have the no shoes is because if someone steps on glass and they can sue, right? So it's protecting them. Totally makes sense. The no shirt is because, you know, ill and, you know, then it's sexist if you don't let women and you don't want boobies walking around. So it would be indecent exposure, right? But again, quarantine is for sick people. Lockdowns and curfews for healthy people is called house arrest. Now, we all joke about the Karens, but it's really true. You know, probably just do yellow stickers. That was really good, right? That was an awesome tweet. But I want you guys to watch this video. This should terrify all of you. Because while all of us are compliant with all of this, you know, it's a big deal. Wait a minute. Did I tell you guys about um, the Goodwill? Did I tell you guys about Goodwill and what happened at the Goodwill where I went uh, the other day? Um, oh, wow. I don't think I told you. I think I just told Millie when I went over um, for, uh, for, you know, her little one's joyous celebration. Okay, check this out. So before I went to Millie's, I wanted to drop off a clothing uh, to the Goodwill. So I've had these bags and I was like, yo, let me find one on the way um, and, you know, get this done. So I, I pull up to one between Cleveland and wherever she lives. And uh, it was right off the highway. I went there and I pull up and then there's like this thing that goes ding, ding, and they're supposed to come out. And nobody came out. So my daughter gets out of the car and she goes to the door and she knocks on it. And this guy comes out. He's wearing a mask up to his eyeballs. Ginger young man, right? And so I was like, so Phoebe heads to the trunk of the car to take out um, the two bags of clothes. And he's like, if you're not wearing a mask when you remove the bags from the trunk, I can't take it. So Phoebe just stopped in her tracks right as she came to the car and just looked at me. And I was like, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I didn't understand that. Repeat it. If you're not wearing a mask when you remove the bags from the trunk, I can't accept it. I was like, wait, so you're saying, just to clarify, I said, and Phoebe knew that tone. <laughs> I was like, just to clarify, I was like, and my daughter just looked at me. She's like, mom, she gave me that look. I was like, just to clarify, you will not accept the clothes that are coming out of my car where I'm not wearing a mask unless I go outside into this snowy ether of air where we're more than so many hundreds, you know, we were almost like a hundred feet apart, right? From where I was to, I have to wear a mask outside in the fresh air where I'm 100 feet away from you to take it out of the trunk and place it there. Is that correct? He's like, yes. And I go, Phoebe, take the bags and drop them off right out there. They can either say that we littered or he'll take them. And I said, what you're doing is exactly what the Nazis did. You are the reason our nation is in this state. 
You are telling us to do something that makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. And you are complying. I'm just doing my job. Well, let me tell you something. That's what the Nazis would say. If you hear someone tell you, I'm just doing my job, turn around and tell them that's exactly what the Nazis said when they were taking away freedoms from people. Tell them that that's exactly what the Nazis said when they demanded people to wear yellow stars. Tell them that you are not a threat to the public and you should not be forced to wear anything. Tell them that's exactly what Hitler did. And you are just like his foot soldiers. This is exactly what they're doing. And he just stood there, said nothing. Phoebe took the bags, put them there. And so we drove up and I said, watch, we're going to turn around. He'll have taken the bags. We drove up, we drove back, bags were gone. Of course he took them. The bottom line is, this is where people need to speak up and say something. You should say something. Because if you don't, and you don't shame them, and you don't let them realize, yeah, it might be on deaf ears. That person really thinks they're going to die. That person really thinks everyone is doing this for the greater good. Right? Could be. Could be. It doesn't matter. Out of the hundred people you tell, you are complying with something that's ridiculous. You social distance, but we're packed in planes. We're sitting down at a restaurant because coronavirus doesn't leave the table. We have a curfew because the coronavirus only comes out after 10 o'clock at night. That's right, because that makes total sense. Complete sense. Complete sense. These are the things we should be telling them, because then we end up with things like this. But then, when put into perspective, oh, you know, we didn't mean that. That's not real. Hello there. Um, I know I'm slightly nervous now because of what this gentleman's saying. Right. Would you like the mask? Uh, No, no. Are you you. Are you I am, yes. Yeah. I've tried that in the past and I don't tend to get the things I want. I tend well, to put different things in when I didn't get them. Would that not then we get coronavirus on it potentially if you're touching it as well? Then if you're infected, then I could get it. So he's trying to shop and he's not wearing a mask. So here comes the manager lady saying, would you like a mask? He's like, no, I don't want it. She's like, well, if you don't want to wear a mask in the shop, we can uh, send it to you free of charge. And he's like, so I'm not going to get coronavirus if you're sick and you touch my stuff. No. Yeah. You know, you just, you know, have to do this. So the conversation continues. Let me just fast forward to the good part. You said if I put a sticker on, I can shop. But if I don't put the sticker on, I can't shop. Now, can you can you tell me? Can you tell me the medical benefits the sticker has against coronavirus? Yes, I am fully exempt. Yes. Yeah. I've got a serious mental illness problems. I can list them if you want. I have to come get my own shop. I don't like the idea of other people touching it before it gets to me. I've got certain conditions. Well, obviously, the less people that touch it, the better for me, really. Right, I mean, obviously, that's going to happen to get with this shopping, but I'm asking you to just go and pay for these yourself. You're asking me to what, sorry? To pay for what you've got and go, because... Well, I've got a family of five to feed, so really, I need a little bit more than that to feed them all. Yeah, if you get me a list, I'll give you a phone number, and we'll get it brought to you. I refuse that offer, thank you. 
I refuse that. I, I'm not accepting. I've got to get. I've got to get this food to, to live to exist. Is there nobody else in your family who can do? My wife. Here they are prying, and he's saying, wait a minute, you told me if I wear a sticker, I can shop. Could you tell me the medical benefits of the sticker? And then the conversation ensues on this sticker. So apparently if you wear this yellow sticker, you don't have to wear a mask because it identifies you as medically exempt. I've disabled my children are a little bit young to come, or I would get somebody else. My mother-in-law has been for me before sometimes, but she's not available at the moment. Because I don't like her because this is what happens. I get confronted with this and it obviously, it, it magnitudes my illness a lot. So today I was just forced that I had to come out and do it myself without being oppressed and having pressure put on me to do certain conditions. So, I mean, obviously we're just doing our job, we're following like guidelines. Yeah, just doing your job. I mean, that's Nazi Germany. Yeah. We're just, we're just doing the job in Nazi Germany. Can you remember when they said that? Nuremberg trials. Just doing our job. Well, if you look into it, that's what the people said, and that, that wasn't a good enough excuse. In a court of law, you couldn't just say, I'm just doing my job. That's not an acceptable reason. So now, if you do, if you were to take this further now, I'll be holding you personally responsible. I'll be suing you, prosecuting you, not Morrison's, you personally for your actions. I'm just letting you know that I'm, I'm giving you notes in advance that that's what happened. I've, I've well, well, I've already been threatened. It's not a threat, it's a, a point of law. It's actually a point of law. It's a point of law. Like, if you take it further, then I will be seeking recompense for the action. I've currently got one in. I've currently got a claim going for the store in Morton. So I don't, I don't go to Morton Morrison, so I start coming here because the same thing happened. So we'll just got to have two, two claims makes no difference. I'm going to refuse your offer and take it to the next level, what you say appropriate, please. I'm going to continue with my song. Thank you. The police, phone the police, yeah, phone the police, yeah. If that's just, if you're just doing your job, yeah, just do your job. I'm not sure, but yeah, one or whatever it is, yeah. I think 999 will be happy about this. Or a sticker. So I'm not conforming to no sticker laws. Sorry. I shouldn't need to explain to other people, really. I've got a medical exemption, that should be enough. I shouldn't have to declare my medical exemption, that's a discrimination act. You Everybody's if they ask me, if they ask me, I can tell them that I don't need a sticker to do that. I'm perfectly capable of communicating with somebody that. Yeah. Do you see where they're taking it? They're telling you, oh, well, it's not because of you. It's because we want to make other people feel safe. You see, we have to make other people feel safe. You're endangering other people's livelihoods or mentality if you don't. See how they spin the yellow star? I mean, during that chat with Millie that we had, we told you it was coming. The COVID passports, the vaccinations, you know, now the military, apparently there's people claiming that they do not want to take uh, the um, vaccine. And you know what? Shit. Neither will I. I will say I'm a Jehovah Witness and them forcing you to do it, uh, you know, will have to be seen at the Supreme Court because they're going to do it. They're not, not going to do it. They're not going to allow you to remain pristine while they edit everyone else. You can't remain with the up, without an upgrade when everyone else is doing it. You must. You must. You must. Here's another reminder of this yellow star introduction. People need to remember this. For all our Karens out there, remember that this is history repeating itself. But now it's just to make everyone feel safe. September 19, 1941. A police regulation comes into effect in Germany, which requires the wearing of the Jewish star in the territory of the Reich in form of a yellow patch. 
With this measure, the repressive measure by the Nazis against the Jewish citizens reached their temporary peak. Furthermore, the Nazi leadership created an effective tool for themselves for capturing people who were to be deported to ghettos and concentration camps. To this day, the yellow patch is regarded as a symbol of the Holocaust. Introduced in 1939 in Poland, it became obligatory in territories occupied by the Germans and in the states allied with the Third Reich. After the Wannsee Conference in January of 1942, it created the essential conditions for the genocide. This is the uh, this is how it created again the essential conditions for Hi, genocide. Everyone, welcome to this timeline oh. documentary. Just before you watch, Wait, no, I, I can't show that one because I'll be <laughs> completely removed. Now I know I have to get going, but I really, really want to show this um, where they're talking about states um, that uh... where we have um, Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg talking about the First Amendment. Again, First Amendment, it's really important you understand how important this is. First Amendment. That we began to have them. And so a lot of the restrictions on speech that, uh, you know, that, that, that would be imposed by states would not have been thought to violate our Bill of Rights, maybe the state's Bill of Rights. Ours. But I'm wondering at the time that the structure of government was set up, plus 200 years ago. What is it that the Founding Fathers had in mind when they thought about freedom? And one definition advanced by John Stuart Mill I found very compelling, but I don't know whether that's what they had in mind. He spoke about absolute freedom of opinion and sentiment on all subjects, practical or speculative, scientific, moral, or theological. And I'm wondering if that is what Madison Monroe had in mind at that time, or whether they had a more narrow vision of freedom. Justice Ginsburg? I wouldn't call the vision narrow, but there are no absolute rights. Even though if you read the First Amendment, it does sound that way. It says Congress shall pass no law. No, no. But of course, there are laws that Congress can pass. So the, the, the idea of an absolute right I don't know any right that doesn't have limitations. Even at that time, in the minds of the founders. Yes, I, I think so. Explain why, in the First Amendment, after listing the phrase freedom of speech, the founding fathers found it necessary or wanted to add four crucially important words, or of the press. Freedom of the press is what they were talking about. But why did they add that phrase? Why was it necessary, Justice Scalia? I think uh, it's a natural addition. All it means is the freedom to speak and to write. It wasn't, it wasn't referring to the institutional press, to guys that run around with a fedora hat with a, a sticker in it that says press. That, that, that was, uh, I'm not sure that, uh, that they even referred to the institutional press in those days. It meant the freedom to, to, to speak and to publish. And that, and that, Clause has been interpreted not to give any special prerogatives to the institutional press. It gives prerogatives to anybody who has a Xerox machine. What do you mean institutional press, forgive me? What, what does that mean? I, I mean those organizations whose, uh, whose business is writing and publishing. NBC, CBS, you. I like that. Well, <laughs> one idea that we didn't take from England was the office of the censor, who censored books. Right. 
before they were published. And that, I think, is part of putting in this protection of the press. And we have ne never had in the United States government an office of the censor, which plague people in England and on the continent. Think of the, think of Verdi and having to put his opera plots. Oh, you have to bring opera into it, don't you? I knew, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> were there, was it understood that there were limitations on the press back then? Was it understood that there were limitations? Well, yes, yes, on, on speech and, and on, on oral speech and written speech, both. I, I told you, libel, libel laws were one thing. Yes, but what, but what about the press at that time? What were they thinking about libel. at that time? Libel, libel. I don't know that there were any special rules applicable to the press. The press did not have to get permission of a censor to publish. Okay. But neither did anybody else. And, and the press annoyed us um, some very important figures in our history, like Thomas Jefferson. Yes, indeed. And it's interesting that Jefferson, before he became president, spoke very highly of the press. But while he was president, spoke about it as a polluted area. And you couldn't believe a thing in any newspaper. But how it survived, one thing that epitomizes for me the importance of freedom of speech is in the ballad for America, the right to speak my mind out, that's America mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think if you had to pick, and you probably shouldn't have to, but if you had to pick one freedom that was, uh, that, that is, the most essential to the uh, functioning of a democracy, it has to be freedom of speech. Because democracy means persuading one another and, uh, and then ultimately voting in the majority, the majority rules. You, you can't run such a system if, uh, if, if there is uh, muzzling of uh, one point of view. So it, it's a fundamental freedom in a democracy, but much more necessary in, in a democracy than in any other system of government. I guess you can run a, an effective monarchy without freedom of speech. I don't think you can run an effective democracy without it. But on this matter of press freedom, John Adams wrote that mankind cannot now be governed without it, nor at present with it. And it seems that the idea of a free press has always been a problem for a succession of American presidents. But in a broader sense, do you feel we could have endured as a democracy from then to now without a free press. What do you think, Justice Ginsburg? I don't think so. I think the press has a pay, played a tremendously important role as watchdog over what the government is doing. And we will continue that notion tomorrow. On that note, for those of you on Twitch, I found this really awesome, totally awkward channel that we're reading in just a moment for the rest of you get on twitch get on trovo or just listen to my podcasts god bless everyone